0: Thank you so much for listening. I'm excited to bring you a few more episodes this season. I'll be taking a little break after episode 80 and may also have a bit more time between episodes moving forward, as I start back to in-person teaching this week. I'll be on a cart at two schools, luckily fully masked and vaccinated. I'm still nervous about being in person with kids again after a year and a half of making video lessons. If you're in a similar position or also just feeling nervous about all the things going on as we start this school year, please know that you are not alone. We're in this together. And you can join me along with Victoria Fry and our little community of Art Educators via Zoom in our next Art Educators Lounge which will be the free community meeting on Saturday, September 25th at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern. This one will be simply a chance to come together and talk with fellow art educators, a true community. I'll add the link in the show notes, or you can go to arteducatorslounge.eventbrite.com to register. I hope to see you there. This week's guest is Nicole McAfoos. She shared fantastic and really practical tips for teachers interested in moving towards choice-based teaching or TAB, teaching for artistic behavior. She talked about the transition phase and the power of giving students more autonomy in the classroom. She also spoke about assessment in TAB and how she documents learning. Her passion and care for her students was so clear. Nicole also vulnerably shared how she lost the artist side of herself and is coming back to being an artist now. She talked about imposter syndrome and naming limiting beliefs. It was so encouraging to hear how she makes time for her own art making, tells her bully of an inner critic to be quiet, and embraces the media she enjoys. She has big ideas and projects in the works around choice-based art education. So, keep an eye on her Instagram at Big Ideas Art Studio. Nicole McAfeus is an elementary art teacher with a passion for choice based art education and the teaching for artistic behavior philosophy. She's been teaching art for 11 years with experience in after school programs, children's theater programs, and public schools. Nicole recently decided to reconnect with her artist self. After years of negative self-talk and limiting beliefs about what it means to be an artist, adopting the tab philosophy made her re-examine everything she'd come to believe about art and art-making. She's now stepping into her artistic identity and embarking on a journey to discover her own voice. She's starting with a sketchbook and her favorite subjects, her two young boys. Over the last few years, Nicole has become increasingly passionate about the choice-based teaching model and truly believes it's the future of art education. She is taking on a new role of advocating for kids and their right to pursue their own artistic voice. Her hopes are that by doing so, she can dispel the myths surrounding choice and empower art teachers to make the transition. Let's hear from Nicole. I am talking with Nicole MacAfoos today, and I'm excited to hear from you. I've been following you on Instagram for a while and just seeing all of the great stuff you're sharing about teaching and specifically teaching for artistic behavior so we will definitely get into that, but I love to just start with your background. Could you kind of share with us how you became a art teacher, how you got into art making? yeah,
1: sure, so First of all, thanks for having me. I'm really excited yes. to be here with you. As a kid, I I just always loved making art. I was an only child, and we lived in a really rural area, so I didn't have a whole lot of kids to play with growing up. And art making was just the easiest way to entertain myself with minimal materials. My family we weren't poor by any means, but we didn't have a whole lot of extra money, so. The drawing materials were just kind of easy to get and expensive. And my dad actually used to bring a lot home from his place of employment. Like, paper pads and pens from the office. And so Mm -hmm. I always, I was just always drawing on like a legal pad with a pen. And I just remember loving it and uh, spending a lot of time doing that. And eventually with enough practice, I, I gained some skills. And when I got into high school and it became time to decide what my career path was going to be, art, was the first thing that came to mind. It, it felt very natural, but the only thing was I wasn't really exposed to a whole lot of art careers in my, yeah. in my high school experience. The only real job that I knew was an art teacher. And my art teacher, he was amazing. He was also an artist, so produced a lot of his own artwork. But to me, at that time, I saw as he makes money by teaching and his art is his hobby, you know, I didn't really have a full picture of his circumstance and, and his, his world as far as art goes. Mm-hmm. So to me, if I was interested in art and that was something I was going to pursue, an art teacher was really my only option. Thankfully, I enjoyed working with kids and I knew that that was something that I could do. So, yeah, so I just decided that art education was going to be my path and found a school. I ended up going to Kent State in Ohio. That was kind
0: of it. Yeah. Well, I I love the using art as a way to sort of entertain yourself. Mm -hmm. I have Mm -hmm. I have what is planned to be an only child. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, she's constantly drawing and kind of either playing doctor or being an artist. So (laughs) who knows what her her path will take. Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) But then also this idea of like not having exposure. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's so common and so real. Mm Just not knowing like what's out there.
1: And I think, I mean, because of that experience, I'm really intentional now in the classroom about talking about all of the different art careers and not only art careers, but careers that are adjacent to the arts and that use Mm -hmm. art skills like architecture and design Mm -hmm. jobs and that kind of thing. So, you know, it all works out, it all comes full circle and it's just something now that I'm like really intentional about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That makes so much sense. You became a teacher, and did you kind of keep your
1: own art practice going, or what did that look like? Yeah, so this is actually something, my identity as an artist is something that I've kind of struggled with. So Mm -hmm. when I was a kid, it wasn't really a question. I just knew in my gut that I was Mm -hmm. part of my identity was an artist. Yeah. And somewhere along the way, I kind of picked up the belief that in order to be an artist, your art had to look a certain way. And for me, that was uh, realism, right? Art became synonymous with realism at some point. And mm-hmm. I'm not really sure where it came from. I think some of it did have to do with, like, well-meaning adults praising my work when it looked realistic. Mm-hmm. And then I'm sure there were other circumstances that kind of empowered that belief. But regardless, that was the belief that I adopted. And when I got to college, I really, really struggled with that because, you know, I had imposter syndrome and I thought that I wasn't good enough. And I I went to classes with all of these fine art majors and I felt kind of silly, like, you know, do I really belong here? And so I really struggled with that. And at some point I stopped making my own art. Mm-hmm. I um I, I fulfilled my requirements for my classes, of course, but I became too scared to really engage with it on my own. And it wasn't until recently that I really, and I think it, I think part of that was adopting the tab philosophy. It really required me to confront things that I believe about art because I'm, I'm talking to my kids and I'm telling them things and I'm encouraging them and I'm talking to them about what an artist is and and, and who they are and what their work looks like. And it just kind of dawned on me, like, why do I talk to them differently than I talk to myself? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, honestly, in the last couple of years, I've really started to grapple with what is an artist and and why is it that I don't believe that I'm an artist? Yes,
0: that's so powerful, this realization of how you talk to your students versus how you talk to yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and the question, you know, really central to tab, what is an artist? What do artists do? Mm-hmm. That's really powerful at any age. Right.
1: Yeah. You know? And, I, and I think now that's why I'm one of the main reasons. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why I'm so passionate about tab, but that's one of them is I, I feel like we strip some of that power away from kids when mm-hmm. we don't give them that autonomy My experience has definitely fueled my passion for making sure that kids have that autonomy, have that choice, and just really believe from the beginning that they have what it takes to be an artist.
0: Yeah. And another thing that you mentioned there, like the well-meaning adults who were praising really only your realistic work. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, makes me think as a parent, as a teacher, how how important it is to be super thoughtful about not only where you're sort of giving feedback that's like constructive criticism, but also where mm-hmm. you're praising, like, are you putting emphasis on your adult aesthetic or on your yeah. like personal aesthetic? Yeah. Or are you maybe starting with questions about what the kid values?
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's so difficult. It's something that I am constantly trying to refine. Because even now, I I still catch myself wanting to comment on the aesthetic parts of the kids artwork. But I love what you said about turning it around and thinking about talking to the student about what they value. I think Mm -hmm. that that's really important.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's a struggle for me. I can say it, but then I'm like, how do we do that. Yeah. <laughs> do, yeah. you have, do you have
1: any tips or any sort of advice for teachers around this? So I kind of focus on the studio habits of mind. So mm-hmm. those are the things that I like to praise instead of, instead of the work itself. And I do think there is a time to praise artwork, but I try to focus on the studio habits. So when I see a kid really engaging in what they're doing, working through mistakes, experimenting, you know, those mm. kinds of things I try to I try to focus on those the most because I mm. feel like when we focus on that, it will not only build their confidence, but it will help develop those skills in kids. Yeah, I think that's really helpful.
0: I guess the other thing I wanted to get into with your teaching style, teaching philosophy is just, you know, that there's so many sort of myths around teaching for artistic behavior and choice-based teaching and this sort of you know I see it as this sort of spectrum of like very teacher directed to like entirely student directed where you know most of us fall somewhere in between there Mm -hmm. yeah but there's this sort of myth that the more student directed you become the more like chaotic or you know it's just a free-for-all sort of idea right yes
1: and
2: I
0: understand
1: why people think that I do. What's your response
0: to that,
2: really? Like I said, I
0: understand where mm-hmm.
1: that where that misconception comes from. However, something that I've learned, so this is going to be my fifth year with full choice, and I have first, second, and third grade, so the youngest mm-hmm. kids with yeah. full choice. And this would be the ideal environment for, for that chaos. But it's actually mm-hmm. quite the opposite. When you trust kids to um, direct their own learning they will kids are meant mm-hmm. to learn they want to learn right they, mm-hmm. they don't want to just scoop around contra- contrary to popular belief they want to learn they want to engage with the media that they enjoy mm-hmm. they want to explore their interests they want to do that
2: mm-hmm.
1: and sure like anyone will tell you when they come into my room there is definitely a buzz but it's like it's an energy it's a very productive buzz they're chatting they're talking they're excited it's it's far from chaos
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and it definitely gets a little bit messy but any art room does you know especially in a young art room it's not any different than than when I was teaching more teacher-directed lessons The 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 mess is similar (laughs) so yeah (laughs) but but kids will, will prove you wrong. They will jump in wholeheartedly and they will work hard and they will, they will just, they will back you. It's amazing what I see happening in my classroom from, from day to day. Mm,
0: I love that. Yeah. And, you know, I think a big part of it is the autonomy of movement mm-hmm. like that. I can see that being really sort of scary in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they're just allowed to get up from their seats right. and like get
1: whatever they need. and. <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah. There's there's less movement than I anticipated. That was definitely one of my main concerns as well. But like I said, kids really, when they're interested in something, they really focus on it. And so moving to get materials, yes, but once they're working, there isn't really a whole lot of unnecessary movement. Now, mm-hmm. sometimes somebody will be making something that they're excited about and they'll explain something to the group and, and kids will come and look at what they're working on. But I always think of movement like that to be beneficial and just part of working in the studio. So yeah. All of the movement that occurs is 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 beneficial in some way in my head.
0: Yeah. I mean, I even picture like a few times in my life that I've been in a studio I guess really in school when (laughs) when I had a studio space that was like shared with other artists with studios and yeah we would be for the most part like focused on our work Mm -hmm. but then occasionally moving around to talk to each other or like bounce ideas off each other yeah you know that's like letting your your young students be artists yeah definitely definitely you mentioned also having taught more teacher directed lessons what mm-hmm. what made that shift for you like what was Was it a long process and sort of what sparked it?
1: Yeah, I guess it was kind of a long process. I was always somewhere on the choice spectrum. My undergrad program really encouraged us to make sure that we included choice in some way. Mm -hmm. So from the get-go, there was some choice, but it it was usually just the subject matter. So I controlled the media and kind of the boundaries of the project that they were able to choose some of the subject matter. And I think it just became like kids asking if they could do this or asking if, just kind of experimenting with what we were working on. And I couldn't find a good answer to tell them no. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't justify not letting them explore. And so that kind of started that process. And then my graduate program on the recommended reading list, they weren't required texts, but some of them were recommended, were the learner-directed classroom and then engaging learners by Katherine Douglas. Those were on the suggested reading list. Mm
2: -hmm. And I put
1: them, I wrote them down somewhere and didn't come back to them for a couple of years. But when I did and I read through them, it was just kind of like a light bulb went off. It just felt right. It just, I mean, everything about the way they were describing a choice classroom, to me, as someone who, you know, has that artist in me somewhere, it just made sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like the more a lot of people I talk to who are, you know, pursuing their own artistic work or, you know, have that desire, even if they're not really actively doing it yet, Mm -hmm. like lean towards more and more towards choice. Yeah,
1: I feel like I don't know if this is just because I'm a choice teacher and I'm connecting with so many choice teachers on Instagram and social media, but it does feel like the art education community is interested at least in the benefits of choice and how a choice classroom works. So Mm -hmm. I am hopeful that someday the the tides will turn and we'll start to lean more towards a choice art education as a whole.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, one thing that I always bring up and and feel like it's important to just talk about and voice Mm -hmm. is the idea of being anti-racist in the classroom. Yeah, Yeah. And, you know, TAB to me really lends itself towards like essentially you're empowering the student. So that's a big component there. Absolutely. How are you doing that in your classroom?
1: So tab i think definitely falls in in line with um the anti-racist curriculum when we are decentering our own um you know the teacher and it should be noted not all teachers are white females but a majority <laughs> of art teachers right. are white females so when we decenter the teacher in the classroom and and center each individual student that's definitely part of working toward an anti-racist education art education it, it's Mm -hmm. not enough, but it's part of it. And I'm really excited about, about learning more about that and kind of figuring out more about how tab can play a role in that. But for me, aside from just tab, I had to do a lot of self-reflection and it was Mm -hmm. very uncomfortable to look back on my years of teaching and know that there was a time when I only talked about dead weight guys. Mm -hmm. And part of that was just the accessibility factor and it was so easy to find lesson plans and resources you know but that's that's not an excuse and that's part of the reason I'm so 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 thankful for the work you're doing and the work of the anti-racist art teachers and compiling this wealth of resources and information, so that we can move forward without having an excuse. We have all of the resources we need now to mm-hmm. diversify our curriculum and make sure that we're centering Black and Brown artists when we're talking about art. So that's definitely part of it. It's yeah. certainly not enough. I'm excited to. Or I don't know if excited, Lord. I'm prepared now, thankfully. Mm-hmm. To start having some more uncomfortable conversations, though, and again, I'm I'm really thankful to to you and the anti-racist art teachers for providing us with the language that we need to have those mm-hmm. conversations moving forward.
0: Yeah, it's I mean, it's always a work in progress for me too. I'm learning, like learning in public. It feels like.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah
0: you know, trying to have these conversations, even when they're uncomfortable. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, talking with people also about how to have uncomfortable conversations with kids. And, you know, you teach the younger kids. So even, you know, as little as kindergarten like our littlest Mm -hmm. ones can still talk about this stuff yeah and
1: they can talk about it but also they're aware of it too so we have to talk about it like I think a lot of us think that our youngest kids don't really pick up on it yet but they do you know they know
0: yeah there was an artist I was talking with who just shared this that he as it was a black artist who was saying you know, as a very young child, I was taught all about, you know, the history of slavery in this country and what that means for me as a black child. And my white peers were not. Mm, (laughs) And, you know, that's a problem, right? He talked about it as like adultifying black children, like you're both, you know, having these really difficult conversations that their peers don't have to have. And at the same time, like trying to protect them by doing that, like there's just this really difficult, I was going to say like balance, but there's no balance.
1: there. Yeah, it's not the right word. I'm not sure what the word is, but I, I know exactly what you're saying. Absolutely. That's so, so powerful and, and heartbreaking to hear, but it's, right. it's absolutely true.
0: And I feel like we need, you know, I hear that and you know, it brings like, it brings tears to my eyes. And I'm like, you know, as a white person, I, I need to hear that because I Mm -hmm. didn't live it.
1: (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, this work is uncomfortable for sure. Mm -hmm. But like you said, it's just a journey. We have to continue to, you know, recognize our privilege and stay humble along the way and, Mm -hmm. and receive criticism if it comes our way, you know?
0: Yeah. And there's, there's something I've heard too, from, People who don't want us to be talking about these things. I keep hearing that, you know, you're teaching like teaching white children to hate themselves. And to me, that's oh, not I... at all what it is. <laughs> like that's no, you're you're teaching them to have compassion and to care about everyone and right. to understand the history that then the the society they're living in that they're a big part of.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't under, I don't understand that argument at all. I I feel like scared people. Are really trying to throw some stuff at the wall and see what sticks.
0: Right. <laughs> but I, yeah, I do feel like it's all very important to just keep having these conversations. Definitely. I also would love to get into maybe like, nitty gritty stuff about tab and sure. I feel like you would have some really great advice Sure you know even just like how do you set up the classroom like what are what are your big tips for teachers that are like moving in that direction
1: So the first thing that comes to my mind is expect kind of like a transition year mm-hmm. because when you transition to a tab classroom you are changing the culture of art at your school So the artwork that the adults and the kids are going to be seeing in your school is going to be very different than it was before. In most cases, I'm assuming my biggest tip would be to kind of prepare them for that transition, your school. And I, I learned the hard way. I did not do this. I kind of naively thought that my school would, you know, know that I have the best interest of my students at heart and that whatever change I, (laughs) whatever change I was making was going to be for the kids. So I would definitely say prepare prepare your school and even your community for this change.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Also to expect a little bit of I don't want to say I don't find the the right word here. Just expect a little bit of that first year feeling again, you know, because yeah. because you kind of are and that's okay. Just notice all of the good stuff along the way and know that it gets easier with time. Mm-hmm. Those are my like main tips and then as far as setting up the room you kind of have to figure out what works for your room and for your kids so it, there might be a lot of trial and error at first and then that's okay you might set up the room one way and decide it doesn't work like that and you need to set it up a different way mm-hmm. Just be really nice to yourself during that transition time and don't be afraid to ask the kids for input because a lot of the times the kids are going to know what they need more than more than us so yeah be nice, prepare your community, and don't be afraid to get the kids involved in preparing the classroom or setting up the classroom.
0: Yeah, I think those are great tips. Those are really helpful. Yeah, when I shifted a bit, I feel like I wasn't quite all the way, like I was still somewhat teacher-directed in some ways, but was giving Mm -hmm. a lot more, like students were doing at least one project that was entirely their own. And Mm -hmm. I was really scared when I open that up that parents yeah. were going to be like upset that it wasn't this adult aesthetic again like mm-hmm. I just keep coming back to that and yeah. I actually found the opposite they were That's they amazing. were loving that like their kids were so passionate about yeah. what they were making and they could talk about the whole process and mm-hmm. like where the idea came from and mm-hmm. yeah like really seeing that learning.
1: Yeah, I I would say that, you know, the overwhelming majority of my community was also supportive. I think most people will find that it's just, I think also important to be prepared for the other side too, just in case. Mm -hmm. And something I always think about is when I was more teacher directed, my students would create these really beautiful, aesthetically pleasing works of art. And on the way out the door, I I was doing something on my desk, so my back was turned. But I turned around, and I saw some kids throwing those beautiful artworks Uh, away. But now, I have a hard time having—I have a hard time getting the kids to keep their work from class to class because they want to take it with them and finish it at home. uh, You know, regardless of what it looks like to us adults, they are so invested in it. They're like they take it home uh, and they finish. And I have so many parents telling me that their kids are making so much artwork at home and are working on things for weeks at a time. So that's how you know that something is working.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I started getting kids asking if they could come visit me at recess. (laughs) I was like, okay. Yes, something's (laughs) working here. What? Yeah, yes. Like you wanna come to me instead of go play? (laughs) Yes, that's amazing. I love that. But it totally, yeah, the level of engagement
1: just skyrocketed. Yes. And engagement precedes skill, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be engaged in order to learn the skills, in order to learn the content. So that's the most important thing. And, we can, and you can see that, you can observe that it's tangible in a tab classroom.
0: Yeah, I love that. That, you know, it's something that I know, but hearing you say, like, engagement precedes skill, that totally mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And then you see how they're really excited about an idea and they're struggling to make it real. And in that process, they're like, but how do I do this? Like, give me, give me those skills. Give me those materials. Yes. It's so powerful. Yeah. Amazing. thank you to Naomi Rose who just signed up as a supporter through Anchor. I am so grateful for your support. Sharing the podcast with fellow teaching artists, leaving a review, or sending me feedback are also wonderful ways to support for free. You can reach me at teachingartistpodcast at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at teachingartistpodcast. There are also a few ways to support financially which really helps me keep this going. I've been hiring an editor for more episodes lately as my time is super tight between teaching, art making, parenting, curating and a few freelance gigs. Ah, if you love the podcast and are able to chip in to keep it going, you can head to anchor.fm/teachingartistpodcast/support. Or just click the link in the show notes. There you can contribute one, five, or ten dollars per month. And I would so appreciate your support. I also wanted to get into your own artwork. And I know you said it's it's been a struggle and I feel like that that imposter syndrome just is so relatable It rings Mm -hmm. true for so many of us trying to like find our way as an artist, as well as a teacher. Yeah, would you want to talk about your work or like your kind of path to being an artist? yeah sure so back to being an artist yes yeah
1: because that's where I am I feel like I'm in this like adult scribble stage you know uh, Um yeah. whatever that means that's what I feel like so once I kind of uncovered some of the, the limiting beliefs that I had about being an artist and I made the decision to start this journey and nurture that part of myself again and this was very recent. So uh, I got a little book, a little sketchbook, and just started drawing mm-hmm. some things again. And all of them are related to my children. And while I was doing that, I had that that thought, that like art bully in my head that thought, there should be more than this, or don't you enjoy anything else besides your children? Just ridiculous mm-hmm. things. Yeah. That were just residual from those old beliefs that I that I had. And I think that that's something I have to keep reminding myself of is this is a journey and those beliefs are probably going to pop up along the way. And it's just about moving forward. Mm -hmm. So I started sketching again. A lot of the sketches, like I said, are about my children. But that makes sense, right? Because I have two young kids and that is my life right now. And it's amazing. And I, I also just love this idea of having this body of work for them when they're older to remember their childhood by. That's beautiful. So I'm doing some of that. But something that I'm really excited to get back into is I loved ceramics. I loved throwing. Mm. I I just learned how to do that at the very end of my college career. I threw for the very first time and fell in love with it. Mm. And again, at that point, just thought, oh, I'm not very good. So I shouldn't pursue this. Mm. But in reality, I was a beginner. (laughs) you know? Right. Right. So I will be, I signed up for some classes this fall and I'm really excited to jump back into that again and just see where it takes me. Maybe, maybe that's my lane. Maybe it's not, but I'm just, I'm at the beginning and I'm just going to jump into some different things and see what happens.
0: Mm, I
1: love that. Yay for
0: classes too. I know. (laughs) Yeah. We can keep learning. Yes, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> and I feel like recognizing also the limiting beliefs and even naming them, <laughs> like Danielle Cursa, the jealous curator, talks about giving her critic a name. Yes. <laughs> So you can say like, hey, you stop saying that to me, Yeah, cut it out,
1: you're being a bully,
0: go away. Yeah. (laughs) And but that's also amazing that you're, you're going through that process. And maybe because of teaching, like I almost I heard maybe oh definitely some, some of that in there like treating yourself as a student and being yes. able to to kind of take a step back and do that I feel like yeah. would have been hard when you were younger
1: agreed yeah so I just have to remind myself that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be you know mm-hmm. like all of my experiences have culminated into this point and it's it feels really vulnerable to admit that I I feel like a beginner again and that's where I am but but that's just where I am and it's just, yeah.
2: it's okay. You
0: know,
1: it's okay.
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: And then the other thing you talked about was this, like that drawing your kids somehow isn't worthwhile art. I'm not sure that's the right way to put it, but yes,
1: something along those lines, like at this point I should be into like abstract expressionism or something, you know, like more
0: serious,
2: Yes.
1: more, more, more white male dominated. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Actually, one hundred percent, I've just started to think about how the patriarchy has kind of influenced, and I haven't completely unpacked that yet, but how that has influenced my beliefs about myself as an artist' because I'm sure that it has,
0: yeah, and there's a lot of people doing amazing work around like being a mother and being mm-hmm. an artist.
1: I know, and I love that work, like I've seen so much of it, and it just I feel it in my core, it's beautiful, and mm-hmm. I, I love it. Yeah. So that voice in my head was totally outdated.
0: <laughs> yep. <laughs> tell them to go back in time. Right. <laughs> go away. Yes. yes. <laughs> and now, I guess, in this process, do you? I was going to ask, you know, I have this question like, how do you overcome creative block? But I mm-hmm. feel like maybe in this stage, that's either like not really a thing or just like a constant thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a, yeah. What I tell my students is, is to give it space. And I find myself telling, telling myself the same thing. I guess I do have some creative blocks from time to time. And I mm-hmm. think that something I've learned is that they're just a part of the process. Like our brain can't constantly be in idea generation or creative mode or reflection yeah. mode. There has to be space. And in that space, you have to just live your life, do something that fills you up, right? Mm-hmm. Self-care or something. And when you give yourself space, ideas will start to flow in again.
0: Yeah, I think that's really helpful and really powerful to give yourself space. Also give yourself grace.
1: Grace, yeah. Mm -hmm. And honestly, you know, saying that, I, I just realized that's one of my favorite things about a tab classroom is the lack of deadlines and the fact that I'm able to provide my students with that space when they need it, because they will need it. You know, there will be times when they're not sure. And that just becomes a day to take a walk around the room and see what other kids are making, or to spend some time in the back reading a book. Like it's okay to take that space. And Mm -hmm. Tab allows you to give kids that space.
0: Beautiful. And there was a post you shared talking about naming this part of the process giving room for there not to always be making, like talking about what it is to be an artist, that being an artist also includes this like research stage. It Mm -hmm. includes downtime. Yeah, it
1: does. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I feel like that's really powerful and not so common in an art classroom. I feel like usually we're just production mode all the time. Make, make,
1: make. Right. Yes. We've got deadlines and grades to put in and we need to have this finished. And
2: mm-hmm.
1: I understand why I understand why that's there. I, I don't I don't think it's super helpful though.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that just actually reminded me of this idea of grading and assessment. And maybe you'd want to talk about how you do that, how that works in a tab classroom. Yeah.
1: So I give grades because I have to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I have the kids come up with their grades, mm. so they self-assess. I have them self-assess one piece of artwork per grading period, and then I also fill in with a couple of other grades, sometimes two or three at most. Simply because I have so many students, I have 600 plus kids, yeah, and it's a lot. <laughs> any more grading than that, it just takes away from my ability to provide instruction and engage with my kids. So I keep it really simple. I have them come up with the majority of their grades. So one, they self-assess one piece of artwork, but I have them base that on the studio habits. So did you work through frustrations? Mm. Did you practice anything? Did you have to develop any craft? Um, I stick to those eight studio habits. And then other assessments come in the form of exit slips, or I do a lot of polls. So I have them, I have each kid has a number magnet and they move their magnet to indicate their level of understanding about mm-hmm. the demo of the day or about the artist or you know whatever we were talking about or whatever our, our objective was that day. But self-assessment is my main assessment strategy at this point. Mm-hmm. Also, I think sometimes observations don't get the credit they deserve you know, our admin wants us to provide data in most cases. Mm -hmm. Again, I get that, but it's not super conducive to an art classroom. But I observe constantly. And I think Mm -hmm. any choice teacher will tell you that they are constantly observing in their classroom, Mm -hmm. constantly. And you learn so much just by observing. You'll notice engagement levels and strengths and weaknesses and those those observations are still valid and are still a really important part of an assessment strategy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. When they're assessing their artwork, is it do you have a rubric for the
1: habits? I do. Yeah. I've gone through a few different ones. There are a couple that I like, but I need I'm still refining those. So I can't say that I have a perfect rubric at this point. And mainly because the difference, I want one that's universal. Mm-hmm. Uh, to make it easy for me, obviously, yeah. and for the kids, something something <laughs> yeah. they can become familiar with. But the difference between a first grade's ability to read and write is very different than a third grader's. Oh yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm still refining that rubric. I don't have something that's like this is my go to right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. So just getting the language mm-hmm. right is yes. really challenging.
1: Right. I'm sure. I'm sure. Once I find whatever it is that I. I'm sold on. My thoughts are that it would be more visual for my younger learners and more words for the older ones. But again, I'm still trying to figure out exactly my sweet spot on that rubric. What that is, yeah,
0: yeah. But I feel like that's helpful to hear too. That this is, you know, it's still like a work in progress. That you can you can be doing it and be in it while also still adjusting. Yes.
1: Yes. So I know without this rubric that my kids are learning and that's the most important thing to me. The rubrics and the, all of the documents and all of that stuff are definitely a work in progress. This is only going to be my fifth year. So I'm still relatively new to this, you know, definitely still a work in progress.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you said, you know, the kids are learning and all of this documentation is really not for them. It's <laughs> it's for the grownups that want to see proof that they're learning. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's all really helpful. Thank you. You're welcome. I also, I love to hear sort of fitting everything in. What does a week look like, especially now as you're trying to carve out more time for making your own artwork? You have two young kids at home. You're <laughs> It's a lot. It's a lot how do you fit it
1: all in? What does it kind of look like? Oh my, (laughs) it's a lot. (laughs) Um, It's definitely easier during the summer. And obviously we all know that as teachers. And so I'm trying to be really intentional this summer about fitting in all of the most important things. So that includes the art making time for myself, even if it's just like exploring with media. Cause like I said, i do feel like I'm back in the beginning stages. So even if it's just me kind of like getting out some colored pencils and practicing or something for a little bit, even even five, 10 minutes. So it's just being really intentional about that now. When the fall hits, my goal is to just continue that being that intentional. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I have to wake up early (laughs) uh, Uh before school to to fit in the things that I want to fit in. And so that's what I do sometimes is I get up early. And that way, when I come home from school, I can just focus on the boys and my family and, you know, really being present with them.
0: And do you make art with your kids or even with your students?
1: Yeah. And honestly, it feels really great to, I definitely do it with both groups. It feels really good to be in this space right now with my boys, feeling like a beginner because Mm -hmm. they're also in that stage. And so... Mm It's fun to work on things together. It's always a short-lived experience. My youngest will <laughs> like put a start eating a crayon out of nowhere and it's really cool. <laughs> so but we're we're still doing it and we're making time for it. and I'm hoping that that continues to grow as they grow. But I love love making art when my students are making art. That was actually something that I really missed this year, this previous year, being on a cart and working in classrooms is I Mm. didn't have a space where I could do that with them. But I think that it's so important. And and it's interesting because, you know, I had these beliefs that I wasn't an artist, but I still was really intentional about working in front of them. Usually they were projects that were kind of commissioned by the school or they needed something Mm. made. And I kind of resented the fact that they wanted me to do this on my prep time. And I was like, absolutely not. Mm. The kids can see me working on this. I thought, you know, kill two birds with one stone. They'll yeah, they'll benefit from seeing me do this. And then also, you know, my building will benefit from it as well. So mm. definitely, I love doing it with both groups, my kids and my students.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I, I so relate to that, like quick you know you have to be able to stop at a moment's notice and yes yeah I remember times there was there was a time and one of the apartments we lived in had this like entryway that was all tile so oh I felt goodness. like if we kind of closed that space off and I would strip down my toddler at the time and <laughs> just like get out the paints and canvas and kind of go crazy with her wow. oh, that's amazing but I, just having a space where I felt like I could do that. And then we just like kind of wash it all down. (laughs) Yes,
2: Definitely.
0: Yeah. But now she's older. So she, you know, we can do things together. And yeah, I mean, she's still only six, but she's, but still, yeah, a little bit more, you know, responsive and aware than like, a not quite two year old. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes my youngest makes things very interesting when we're making it together, for sure
0: yeah I was looking back at these videos we did of like you know just put paints in front of her and I would give Mm. her toilet paper rolls and like q-tips like various different things that could be sort of mark making tools Uh (laughs) and just watch the making (laughs) unfold yes
1: yeah yesterday we had paints out and play-doh and Mm. it it ended up being Play-Doh in the paint water. Like I turned my oh, back yeah. for two <laughs> seconds and turned back around and the Play-Doh's in the paint water. And I was like, of course it is. <laughs> and then I was in my head, I was like, "He's experimenting? And I just kind of had to like bite my tongue a little bit and 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 kind of go on damage control. But yeah, it's definitely interesting. It's fun to see, to like look through their eyes at, at the art making process.
0: Yeah. And then seeing like as they get older, you'll see that, evolve too
2: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah yeah I love that play-doh too because I've been using play-doh kind of
1: as paint so oh that's interesting (laughs) playing with play-doh that way yeah yeah that reminds me one of in the classroom this past year someone did that I had modeling play out and she she started used she was stamping with it and making clouds and then went Mm. down and made it was like oh yes (laughs) <laughs> I love it. Yes, amazing.
0: Yeah, and the ideas they come up with that you're like, that's not, that's not how you're supposed to use that material, right. but like it's doing something really right. cool.
1: Amazing. Yes, yes, yeah, definitely. Lots of that.
0: Getting to our kind of wrap up, I love this broad question. What are you curious about right now? Uh,
1: lots of things.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm, I'm really, really curious about the future of art education. And the role of Tab in that in that world, like what does tab look like in the future, and what is the mm-hmm. what does art education look like in the future? I hope, and I really feel in my gut that that Tab is a huge part of that future. Mm-hmm. so i'm I'm really excited to see, you know what the next ten years of our art, art education look like.
0: That is exciting when you think about that. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything coming up, anything that you'd want to
1: share that's happening? Like in relation to Art education.
0: Yeah. Or you're yeah. like, I know you're sort of in development with some projects, maybe. I don't know if it's shareable yet. Yeah, <laughs> no, I can share some
1: of it. I guess I've kind of decided recently that I'm on a mission to to help teachers transition to choice and to make it accessible to kids even at home. So yeah. I kind of have this grand plan that's in the works about how I can ro- provide it to teachers who want to want it but also to kids at home too. So that's really all I can say right now. I'm still in the idea phase, Um, but I am working on figuring out a way to make choice, like regardless of, and this idea came because I was really, I loved what I was seeing happen in my classroom. And I wanted that for my boys. Like I wanted my boys to experience a choice classroom, but I know that, that not every art teacher is going to provide that and that's okay. You know, I don't think everyone does have to, but I wanted to make sure that regardless of the education, the art education my sons were receiving in their public school, I wanted to make sure that they had access, or I want to make sure that they have access to a choice-based education as well. So I'm trying to figure out right now how to make that a reality.
0: Yeah, and I love that idea of making it something that works for parents. Mm -hmm. You know, even I feel like the tricky thing is parents who don't have any experience who aren't artists. Right. And also for teachers who want to make that shift.
1: Mm-hmm. My theory is that a choice art education might be the best thing for families or parents who don't feel like they have that experience because the artwork doesn't have to look like it. Like there's no there's no set idea of what this artwork going to be in the end. Right. So I'm hoping that that alleviates some of the pressure on those parents who don't feel like they're creative, or who don't feel like they're artists. That's yeah. that's the theory in my head. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's truth, but I'm I'm
2: hoping that it is.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that makes a lot of sense. That you know, I've seen some of your videos, and that you could just provide these sort of like skill builder videos. This is mm-hmm. h- how you do this basic skill, mm-hmm. but then it's up to the kid and maybe the family to help guide them. Right. In yeah. what they're putting that skill towards yes. Amazing. Well, we will keep an eye out. And maybe now we should share your links. Sure. If you, yeah, where can
1: people find you online? On Instagram, I'm the Big Ideas Art Studio, and I am on YouTube under the same name. So Mm -hmm. both platforms, I'm sharing similar similar things. I spend a little bit more time on Instagram, obviously, that's where you can connect with me. You want to send me a message there. But if you're looking for some and more in depth information, YouTube would be the place to go.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And I will link to that and then like keep an eye out. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. And then is there anybody that you'd want
1: to give like a shout out to or a thank you? My lovely husband and my boys. And then also to some dear friends of mine, Dana Craig and Karen Keese.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Nicole. This was wonderful. I feel like there's so, so many great tips and just encouragement too for teachers and for people who are
1: in this scribble stage with you (laughs) yeah so if anybody is please reach out i would love to connect with anyone who is in that stage (laughs) yes love it so Thank thank you so much thank you
0: thank you so much for listening as always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or TeachingArtistpodcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of Teaching Artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you.